Welcome to another podcast from the Burlington Congregation of the Church of God International. You can find out more about CGI Burlington on our website at cgiburlington.org. I don't know if you know that on uh, September 17th, just before we celebrated the feast on the 18th, the day before, the Costa Concordia was put right side, was righted so that they can work on bringing it back. And it really stands as a monument of cowardice and shame. Uh, This was a a vessel that had 4,200 passengers on it, and it was uh, led by Captain Francesco Schettino. And basically, uh, he was ego-driven, and he wanted to show off, he wanted to impress a young lady, 25-year-old Dominica Camorton, And he wanted to show how close he could run this vessel to the coast, just off the island of, uh, I think it's Giglio, and ended up uh, tearing a hole in the vessel. And the whole thing just uh, lilted and and lives were lost. And it was tragic. When he called the Coast Guard, he called the Coast Guard from a lifeboat. And the Coast Guard was trying to get his head around, where is the captain? And he finds that you're on a lifeboat and passengers are still on the ship. You get back on that ship and you coordinate the rescue effort from the ship. Because the captain stays on the ship. He should be the last person to get off the ship. Scatino explains that he fell off the ship into a lifeboat. That's how he got on the lifeboat. And his second-in-command also fell off the ship into the same lifeboat. And that's how they were in the lifeboat, and passengers are still on the ship with their lives at risk. So this uh, Coast Guard, DeFalco, made it in no uncertain times. He would destroy uh, Francesco Scatino if he did not get back on that ship and focus on saving the lives of the individuals that were on the ship. Compare this situation, brethren, to... What we find in the book of John, go to uh, the Gospel of John, chapter 10. In John, chapter 10, and beginning with verse 7, Jesus Christ says, Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers. But the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd, here's the definition of a good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He's not there saying, look at my flock, how big it is, how wonderful I am, and if the flock is in trouble, he cuts and runs. No, the whole purpose of the shepherd is to look after the sheep. And and he will lay down his life for the sake of the sheep. Because his whole purpose is to look after the sheep. I am the good shepherd, Jesus Christ. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. 
he who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, so it's just like, it's a job. It's a job. Sheep really aren't mine, but I'll do the job. Well, when trouble comes, what happens? He sees the wolf coming. Wolf is a dangerous predator. Wolf can tear you to pieces. Even the shepherd is at risk with the wolf. So he sees the wolf coming. He leaves the sheep and he flees. Unbelievable. He just magically falls into a lifeboat. And as long as he gets to shore, everything's okay. The wolf snatches them and scatters them. And who cares? I was just doing a job anyway. I am the good oh, sir. He flees because he's a hired hand. And he cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. So this gentleman, Francesco Scatino, it's possible that he could have been in the church. Very capable man, charismatic, motivated, ambitious, could have ended up in the ministry. And I think we've all seen or heard of stories of Scatino-like ministers who really don't care for the sheep. The sheep exist for their ego. And everything they do is to feed their ego. Christ says, the good shepherd is not about ego. The good shepherd, it's about the care and feeding and safety and ultimately salvation of the sheep. And the good shepherd, it's not like he waits until there's danger and then he lays down his life. The very fact that we are his sheep is because he laid down his life. We become his sheep because he laid down his life. But he says this in this passage. My sheep know my voice. They don't listen to strangers. When they hear my voice, they respond. I think we need to discern good shepherds from evil shepherds. And we can't be naive to say, oh no, there's no evil shepherds. Yes, there are evil shepherds. And, and the responsibility is on us to be able to discern who are the good shepherds, who are the evil shepherds. Because Christ says we should hear his voice and respond to it. Look at the Apostle Paul in 1 Thessalonians 2. 1 Thessalonians 2. Here is a man that understood who the true shepherd was, and he was just an under-shepherd. And, and he spoke Christ's words, and God's people responded. They heard the words of Christ through Paul. 1 Thessalonians 2, beginning in verse 5, we never came with flattering speech. We didn't have an agenda. We weren't working a personal objective, coming with flattering speech, so that we could gather a following. No. We never came with flattering speech, as you know. Nor with pretext for greed. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from men. You know, when you're a captain of a ship, that's a glorified role. You're the most important person, quote-unquote, on the ship. 
And when you walk around with your captain stripes, people are like, wow. And it can be that way in the church. When you are an elder, or pastor rank, or evangelist rank elder, you've got the stripes, you walk around, it's a senior pastor. Wow. Paul wasn't into any of this. We did not seek glory from men. We're not looking for glory from men. Either from you or from others. That wasn't our agenda. Even though, as apostles of Christ, we might have asserted our authority. So Paul is saying, I had every right as an apostle to actually exercise authority over you as a church. But we weren't into that. But instead, we proved to be gentle among you. As a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children. So this is the way this powerful man, with the authority of an apostle, conducted himself with the church. Like a nursing mother who cares for her children. For you recall, brethren, our labor and hardship. I'm sorry, I skipped verse 8. Having thus fond affection for you, so he really loved the sheep. We were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, so that we, we make sure we impart the gospel of God, but also our own lives. We, Paul and the apostles, the, the apostles with him laid down their lives for the sheep. These are good shepherds. They really cared for the sheep. And they laid down their lives. So it's not just about, about giving them the gospel and the knowledge of God, but also we laid down our own lives. Because you had become very dear to us. For you recall, brethren, our labor and hardship, how working night and day, so as not to be a burden to any of you, we proclaim the gospel of God. So not only are they preparing the gospel message and feeding the sheep, but in their spare time, they're working and earning an income, so that in no way are they a burden to the sheep. This is the love that the good shepherd had for the sheep. You are witnesses, and so is God, how devoutly and uprightly and blamelessly we behave toward you believers. Just as you know how we were exhorting and encouraging and imploring each one of you as a father with his own children. So first it's a mother with her children, but it's also like a father with his children. That there really is this very deep love that the apostle had for the children of God. Verse 12. Why? And what's the objective? Is it to get the praise of men? To be glorified here on earth? No. So that you may walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. This was the objective. We will do anything and everything we can with the objective that, in the end, you know how to walk worthy of this calling. And that you will be in this kingdom. And for this reason... We also constantly thank God that when you received from us the word of God's message, you heard the voice of Christ and you accepted it. Not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe. And this is really the, the power of the shepherd, that he speaks the word of God, and when it enters you, it performs a work inside you. And this is what Christ says, my sheep know my voice. They're not going to listen to a stranger. When they hear the, the, the word of God, it has a power that acts inside them, and they recognize it. Unfortunately, brethren, 
we have a, a, a storied history with respect to ministers and members. And, and you probably have had experiences yourself, or if you haven't directly had experiences, you've heard enough war stories. Okay? And I think it's just the nature of man. Give man a little bit of power, expect trouble. Man can't handle power, even in the church. And so we've had a storied history. And I think the result is this. We have two types of dysfunctions in the church with respect to, quote-unquote, power and authority. The first dysfunction is the dysfunction of the minister, where he bends over backwards to accommodate the brethren, or he forces them to bend over backwards, right? And he's uh, inflicting his authority and will on the brethren, on one hand, or he's passive, and he does nothing. And with the members, same thing. We have members who are passive and, and do nothing and expect the ministers to do everything, or members who are aggressive and hostile and don't want anybody over them. And so there's these dysfunctions on both sides. And I think that we need to look at this as now we have two elders in our small congregation, and we can see that as a burden or a blessing. I think it's a blessing. I think that this congregation has been blessed richly, and I think there's a reason. I think that God is doing something here that the full extent of it we, we will not realize, perhaps for a few years. But God is doing something in this congregation. It's just miraculous how it sprang up out of nowhere. Nobody had it in, in mind, and everything has just gone so smoothly. And now here for such a small congregation, we have all of this different talent, uh, that everything runs so smoothly. And now we have two elders and a deacon in such a small congregation. Why? And I think that was very interesting few words that we heard from Pastor Murray in the sermonette time about Ido and how during this restoration period they realized we don't have Levites. We have, we, we have the place where we should worship, but we don't have the Levites. So go and send Ido and give him these instructions because we need to have Levites to lead in the worship. And I think you made a statement, Pastor Murray, about... Um, we must worship God the way he wants us to worship, how he wants us to worship, when and where he wants us to worship. And I think that's got to be our commitment, that we want to do things God's way. And eldership is God's way. There is something about eldership which is God's way. So what I want to do in the sermon with you is explore this role of eldership and ensure that we're all comfortable with it, that we see it as a blessing, and it's something that's going to help us, not hurt us. And it's something that we're going, to, we're going to do this right. We don't need abusive ministers, but we don't want passive ministers in either. You know, so many members will complain that their ministers don't do anything. You know, stuff is happening, and there's no decisions made. So we don't want passive, but we don't want aggressive either. So many members will complain that the minister thinks he's God. We want the right role. So let's explore what that is. And we want our members. We don't want our members to be passive and powerless. When you read the Bible, Christians are empowered people. They're powerful people. And elders are just facilitators. 
And I think having two elders is a good thing for us because, well, first of all, Murray's personality is not such that we were at any risk. But when we have one man as the elder, it's tempting for us to see that one man as our leader. What Christ wants is plurality of leadership so that we don't look to men, that Jesus Christ is the head of this congregation. We're under shepherds. He's the shepherd of the congregation. So don't look to me and don't look to Murray. You know, between us, maybe we can compensate for each other's flaws and Christ can actually lead. So we're not here on any kind of ego trip. We're not trying to see how we can show off with our, with our congregation to feed our ego. None of that. None of that. And, and what's also a great blessing, brethren, is the love that we have for one another. As, as the leadership team, we love each other. We enjoy spending time together. We appreciate each other. In fact, uh, my daughter had to go out this week on Thursday, and uh, we didn't want to drive back home. We decided we'd just stay in town. So we went and had dinner, and we still had some time on our hands. We went to Starbucks uh, to have a tea. And on the way there, we saw Eva drive by. And so she decided she would pick up Jan and join us, and we'd have a tea together. And that was highlight of the week, to spend time with wonderful people. And that what would only make it better is if Murray and, and Lisa could have joined us. So we have a leadership team that is really united and that really has your safekeeping and your salvation at heart. So we we have a huge opportunity here, brethren, to to do this and to do it properly. But look at Ezekiel 34. And look what can happen when we have Captain Scatinos as elders. Ezekiel 34. Verse 1, and the word of the Lord came to me, Ezekiel, saying, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. God loves shepherds. He wants Israel to have shepherds. And here he's saying to Ezekiel, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, thus says the Lord God unto the shepherds, woe be to the shepherds of Israel that do feed themselves. Where is their focus? On themselves. Should not the shepherds feed the flock? Yet, you eat the fat. And you clothe yourself with their wool. Wow. You're a shepherd. And what you're doing is you're eating the flock. And you're fleecing them to clothe yourself. And God wants his sheep to have shepherds. You eat the fat and you clothe you with the wool. You kill them that are fed, but you do not feed the flock. And I don't know if you've heard the news, but it was in the news this week. Pastor Ronald Harris, 53 years old, while he was preaching in his church, the deacon came in and shot him point blank. And when he fell, the deacon stood over him and shot him again. And and then we heard afterwards he's never had any criminal activity and no sign of mental illness. Immediately I said to my wife, adultery. Adultery. And now it's coming out, the deacon's wife and the pastor 
had a relationship. And she was accusing him of rape, but as the police are investigating the phone records, they've had a sexual relationship for over 10 years. This is an example of a pastor feeding himself, fleecing the flock, taking advantage of his position, trusted position of authority. And God says, I'm against the shepherds. Woe to the shepherds. Verse 4. The diseased, so here's what you can see by what they're not doing, what the shepherds should be doing. The diseased you have not strengthened. Neither have you healed that which was sick. So imagine being a shepherd, and you've got your flock. And as a good shepherd, you should know the state of your flock. And you're looking at the flock, and there's disease, and there's um, weakness. It says there's sickness, there's disease. There's some that are broken, but you haven't bound them up, and you don't care. The the flock is in a state, and it doesn't touch you, and you're a shepherd. That's what God is saying. The disease you haven't strengthened, you haven't healed that which was sick. Neither have you bound up that which was broken. Neither have you brought again that which was driven away. Neither have you sought that which was lost. But with force and with cruelty have you ruled them. And this is, again, the state of mankind. Give man a little bit of power, goes to his head, and he has no regard for anybody else except himself. With cruelty and force have you ruled them. And they were scattered because there is no shepherd. And they became meat. These are God's people. They became meat to all the beasts of the field when they were scattered. My sheep wandered through all the mountains... And upon every high hill, yes, my flock was scattered upon all the face of the earth, and no one searched after them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As I live, says the Lord God, surely, because my flock became a prey, and my flock became meat to every beast of the field, because there was no shepherd, neither did my shepherds search for my flock, but the shepherds fed themselves and fed not my flock. Therefore, O you shepherds, Hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against the shepherds. How chilling when God turns himself against you. God says, I am against the shepherds. And I will require my flock at their hand and cause them to cease from feeding the flock. Neither shall the shepherds feed themselves anymore, for I will deliver my flock from their mouth that they may not be meat for them. The flock of God exist today because Christ purchased us with his blood. We are his sheep because of the price that he paid. And it is a frightening role to be in the role of a shepherd. To be responsible for the people, the very people that Christ allowed himself to be brutalized for. That he allowed his blood to be shed for. And we now as shepherds are responsible for this flock. And God says here, he's against the shepherds. But look at Jeremiah 3. And again, this ties into uh, Pastor Murray's few words to us earlier about the worship of God. Jeremiah 3, and let's cut in at verse 14. Dealing with Israel and wanting... uh, God is faithful to his covenant. He wants them to return 
to faithfulness. And verse 14, he says, Return, O faithless sons, declares the Lord, for I am a master to you. And I will take you, one from a city, and two from a family, and I will bring you to Zion. And when I do that, then I will give you shepherds after my own heart. So it is possible to have good shepherds. And it's God's will, in fact, to have good shepherds. And it's part of the restoration process. When God wants to restore true worship, he gives good shepherds. And so he says here, I will give you shepherds after my own heart, not a selfish heart. Not shepherds who want to feed themselves, but shepherds who will lay down their life for the flock. I will give you shepherds after my own heart, who will feed you on knowledge and understanding. And this is the fundamental role of shepherds. That we must feed you with knowledge and understanding. And any time you're in any church that undermines the role of knowledge and understanding, you're in the wrong church. The, the very fabric of Christianity is, is doctrine, it's teaching, it's knowledge. And, and if you just want to be in a church that just wants to sing and praise and push the teaching out the window, the devil's in that church. God teaches his people and he feeds them with knowledge. And the good shepherds feed with knowledge. Knowledge is what strengthens us. That is just one role, however, in the church. It's just one role. And for us to function, we are a body. For us to function in a healthy way, all the parts need to be doing their part. So we as shepherds have this responsibility to feed you. And we have to do our homework and our knee work so that we can be in a position to give you good food, nourishing food. But that's just one role. There are other roles. And I think every one of us is gifted. We have to figure out what is our gift? What is our role? And the church, can, the congregation can really only be healthy when everybody is doing what they're gifted to do. So I could never do special music. If I, did, if I did special music, the hall would clear. Right? So that's not my role. But it's an important role. There are things that happen during the week. There are, there's uh, providing food for fellowship. There's providing an encouraging word. Somebody's down. And you can see that. And you provide just the right encouraging word. All of these roles are critical. So it's not just, you know, we have our role. Yes, we do. But it's so that we feed you so that you can live. Now that you're alive, what's your role? What's your part? Let's all play our part. So brethren, now that we have two elders in the congregation, things change. What's going to change and what's not going to change? First of all, let's be very, very clear that our roadmap doesn't change. We're committed to this. And if there's anything on here that you don't agree with, tell us. Because this is what we're guiding the church by. So look at the one another statements. That's what we want to build a community that follows these statements right from the, the scriptures. And then our vision to have a dynamic, actively serving congregational family that worships God in spirit and in truth and keeps the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace.
the guiding principle that we ought to know how to behave ourselves as the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. We, we need to know how to behave ourselves. How do we interact with ministers? What, what, how do ministers interact with members? What's the biblical way? Because we say here one of our goals, verse, uh, goal number six, to have Bible-based leadership and relationships. So what does Bible-based leadership look like? And what do biblically-based relationships look like? That's, that's one of our goals. Another one of our goals here, brethren, is to become a model Christian community. And this, this, this role of eldership is so misunderstood. And it is tragic. The church has suffered so much because this role has been misunderstood. So if we want to be a model Christian community, we need to understand this role. And it needs to be healthy, and it needs to be a blessing. Everybody in this congregation, if, they're t- if you're talking to a friend or someone in another congregation or another church, and they're complaining about their elders, automatically the response by any of us should be, oh, no, no, elders are a blessing. We love our elders, and our elders love us. Now, we don't have any schism or power play or anything like that. We just have a healthy relationship. God wants us to have elders, and we have them. Let's see this, brethren. God wants us to have elders. In Ephesians 4. So we don't want to be a congregation that despises authority. Neither do we want to be a congregation that has heavy-handed leaders. And I just want to mention while you're turning there, this whole uh, thing about titles. You know, uh, do you call me Pastor Adrian? Do you call me Elder Adrian? I like Brother Adrian. I really do. Uh, some brethren in uh, Toronto call me Brother Age. I like that too. Brother Age, Brother Adrian. That's who I am. Okay. Uh, I think as far as the title goes, the only thing I would request is in a formal setting. So if you're the worship leader and you're introducing me, we wouldn't say, up next is Adrian. We would say, up, uh, Pastor Adrian or Elder Adrian, to give the sermon. And I think not just me, but anybody who come visiting ministers or deacons, when we're in a formal setting, let's recognize the roles of who's up here teaching. Is this just some guy we met on the street who's giving the sermon? Or is this somebody that God has appointed to teach us? That's all. But as far as our interaction with each other, please. I would appreciate if you call me Brother Adrian, and I've spoken to Pastor Murray. He actually appreciates the same thing. He wants to be called Brother Murray. Okay, we're, not, we're not here into ego. We just want to do what the Bible says. And I think you know, the Bible doesn't say, in a formal worship service, call us pastor. But I think it's about decorum and having good decorum uh, as we have our service. But look at this in Ephesians 4. and verse 4. Jesse was here earlier. There's one body and one spirit, just as also you were called in one hope of your calling. There's one hope for all of us, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace was given. So, So there's one Father, one God, one hope, one baptism, one faith, but to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. So Christ has a gift for us, and it's for each of us individually. Each one of us 
Christ's gift is on each of us. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led, led captive a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. That's the first order of business when he ascended on high. To give gifts to men. What were these gifts? Verse 11. Here they come. And he gave some as apostles, and some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers. So this role of eldership is not a burden. It's not meant to be oppressive. It's meant to be a gift. And it's the first order of business. When Christ ascends on high, one of the first on the priority list, give them gifts. Give them eldership. But there's different kinds of elders. Some are prophets, some are apostles, some are evangelists, some are pastors and teachers. If you ask me, I think I'm a teacher. I think I've heard enough feedback from brethren to say, oh, you really make things clear for me. I think I'm a teacher. I may be a pastor as well. We'll see how, if I have the fruit. Uh, pastor Murray certainly is a pastor. We know that. The care and concern that he has uh, as he conducts his ministry. He's also a teacher. We see him digging. I like, missed part of the sermon last week, and I listened to it again. I thought, like, wow. That, that takes something to dig the scriptures and pull out that kind of meaning and then make it clear to the brethren. But, but the, we're all different. We're all elders, but we all have different roles. But all the roles are gifts. So it's nothing to be envious about. It's nothing to resist. If I have any gift, if Pastor Murray has any gift, the gift is not for us. It's from Christ for you. It's your gift. It comes through us, but it's your gift. It's yours. And what's it for? For the equipping of the saints. So we're here to equip you for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ until we attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. So we're not going to have the unity of faith overnight. It's going to take time. Questions are going to come up. Doctrines are going to come up. Controversies are going to come up. But eventually, God wants a church without spot or wrinkle. And it's the role of the elders under Christ to work out the spots and wrinkles. Gently, like a mother with her children, like a father with his children, until we all come to this unity of the faith. And the knowledge, again, that emphasis on knowledge of the Son of God. And again, I just want to emphasize this. Any church that diminishes the role of knowledge is not God's church. It's not God's church. Knowledge is critical. Knowledge is the very knowledge is food. It's spiritual food. It's how we grow. So anybody who diminishes knowledge doesn't want you to grow. You have to grow in grace and knowledge. To a mature man, to the measure of stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Let's see now, brethren, this uh, protective nature of the eldership in Titus 1. And I'm just going to go through a few scriptures here, just so we get it from God's word. Titus 1. This is now a pastoral epistle. So the fact that we have pastoral epistles, whole books in the New Testament, that are devoted to pastors... To say, here's how to be a pastor. It gives us an indication that this role must be important. So this is an instruction now from Paul to the pastor Titus. And he says to Titus in verse 5, For this very reason, this is why I left you in Crete. Yeah. 
So I'm leaving you behind. I'm, I'm leaving. You're staying here. Why? For this very reason that you might set in order what remains. So I'm leaving behind these different churches that I've set up. You're staying there so that you can set them in order. And in setting them in order, what do you need to do? Appoint elders. Notice it's plural. It doesn't say appoint an elder in every city. Appoint elders plural in every city. Because Christ is the shepherd of the church. The elders were just facilitators. We're under shepherds. So you appoint multiple elders in each city, as I directed you. Namely, and then he gives the qualifications. And the qualifications matter because we don't just teach by word, we teach by example. And the brethren are looking at the example, and they're going to follow it. So he gives them credentials. And then notice in verse 9, holding fast the faithful word, which is in accordance with the teaching. Again, emphasis on teaching. Christianity is about teaching. That he may be able both to exhort in sound teaching and to refute those who contradict. For there are many rebellious men. Unbelievable. There are many rebellious men. And, and Paul is leaving Titus in place to resist this rebellion. Empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision, who must be silenced because they are upsetting whole families. Again, teaching, again, emphasis on knowledge, things that they should not teach for the sake of sordid gain. So these are the false shepherds. And Paul is just so important to him that in Crete he leaves Titus there and puts these elders in place because sheep need shepherds. And this is a critical role for him to put in place. Corinth, let's take a look at Corinth was another congregation that the Apostle Paul was responsible for. But they didn't see the ministry as a gift. Christ made it clear. He gave gifts to men. One of these gifts for apostles. This is a gift from Christ to the church. So Paul is a gift to Corinth. And I just want to look at chapter 4. My wife is actually showing this to me. It's an interesting chapter because it... it illustrates the dynamic of the relationship between Paul and the church in Corinth. Verse 1. So, the question is, how should you regard us as elders? So Paul is telling them, okay, verse 1. This is how you should regard us. As servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it's required of stewards that they be found faithful. So, just look at us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. And by the way, it's required that we be faithful, that we be found faithful. But with me, talking to the Corinthians, it's a very small thing that I should be judged by you. So, this is verse 3 of uh, chapter 4. It's a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. So, the Corinthians were passing all kinds of judgment on Paul. He's not a real apostle. He's this, he's that. He's saying, you know what? It's nothing if you want to judge me. In fact, I don't even judge myself. For I'm not aware of anything against myself. So I know I have a clean heart, clear, real uh, good objectives here. I have integrity. But I'm not acquitted by that. It's God who's going to judge me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time. 
before the Lord comes who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. A lot of controversy in Corinth. A lot of false ministers. A lot of false brethren. And Paul's saying, okay, you want to judge me? I know my heart, and I know I have integrity, but that doesn't get me off the hook. Maybe there's something going on inside me that I'm not aware of. God is my judge, but he's your judge as well. And he's going to judge your, the other people that you're looking at, and you're thinking that they're true leaders. God's going to judge. So don't judge anything before the time. Verse 6. I have applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers. So there's two true apostles here. One is Paul, the other is Apollos, that we know for sure. So he says here, I've applied these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit. We're a gift to you. That you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written. That none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against another. So Corinth had a plurality. There's two different leaders here, Apollos and Paul. And I'm for Apollos. And other ones, oh no, I'm for Paul. Oh, I'm for Christ. And he's saying, don't do this. Don't get puffed up one against the other. Why? For who sees anything different in you? So the same gifts that are in the eldership are the same gifts that are in the membership. So you're all gifted. You all have different gifts. So who's seeing anything different? Am I saying, you know, I'm for Lisa, and, but I'm not for Donna. Because I like the gift that Lisa has. This is crazy. God gives the gifts for the benefit of all. So we don't see anything. The same thing that you're looking at us and saying you like Apollos more than Paul, we could apply the same thing to you. Who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? So what gift do you have that actually came out of your being versus it came from Christ to you, through you? So what do you have that you didn't receive? If you received it, Why do you boast as if you didn't receive it? And it's the same thing with the eldership. If one elder has one gift and another has another, why are you acting like the gift comes from the elder? It doesn't. Christ is the one that should be praised. He's the one that distributes the gifts. So if you received it, it didn't come from you, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Already you have all you want. It's a very arrogant church. And Paul is pulling out his hair, trying to deal with this congregation. And he's saying, okay, good, got it. You've got everything you want. You're very gifted. Very gifted people. Already you have become rich. Without us, you've become kings. Amazing. You don't need us. You're already kings. And would that you did reign. I I really wish you were kings. So that we might share the rule with you. Because we've knocked ourselves out servicing you. And if in fact you really are kings, wonderful, bring us along too. But you're not self-sufficient. Verse 9, For I think that God has exhibited us apostles as last of all, like men sentenced to death. So we're not here puffing ourselves up thinking we're something great because we're apostles. We're like men sentenced to death. This is not easy. This is not an easy road. Because we have become a spectacle to the world, to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake. We understand what we're doing here and we're willing to be fools. But you are wise in Christ. Yeah, you're wise. You're, You're the gifted church. You're the wise ones. You're the kings. 
we're fools trying to serve you. We are weak, but you're strong. You are held in honor. You know, it's, which one is more honorable than the other? We're, we're in disrepute. Our reputations have gone out the window. People hate us. People stone us. People think we're the scum of the earth. But you guys are fighting for honor. Wonderful. To the present hour, we hunger and thirst. We are poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless. And we labor, working with our own hands. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. It could actually say, when you Corinthians revile us, we bless you. When you persecute us, we endure your persecution. When you slander us, we entreat. We have become and are still like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. So the Corinthians are thinking they don't need the apostles. They're self-sufficient. And which one is better than the other? And he's saying, I think you've got this wrong. It's not about you. It's about serving others. And we will, do, we will give up our own reputation. We'll give up everything to serve you. I do not write these things to make you ashamed. I mean, it's not that I'm trying to shame you. As a good shepherd, I have one objective. I want to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, as everybody claiming now to be a guide in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then, be imitators of me. You have lots of people wanting to teach you. Look at my conduct. Look at my conduct. I'm not here trying to puff myself up. When I'm reviled, I bless. When I'm persecuted, I endure. This has nothing to do with my ego. I'm doing everything to try to save you. Be imitators of me. This is how you should treat one another. That it's not about you, it's not about your ego. It's about how we bless each other. This is why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ. That there's an objective, that this knowledge that we're teaching you is to the end result that you would be more like Christ. Not that you would be puffed up. The, 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 the word of God has a power and it should be transformative and we become more like Christ. So I'm sending you Timothy, my faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in every church. Some are arrogant. Don't, don't be misled by these people. They're defiant. They are defiant. They resist authority. They're arrogant. Don't, don't you know, as though I'm not coming to you. I am coming. But will I come to you, sorry, but I will come to you soon, if the Lord wills, and I will find out not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power. Do they actually have the power of the word of God? For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. And it's very interesting because the real power is the power for us to overcome ourselves. It's the power that when we're reviled, we bless. When we're persecuted, we endure. That's the power of the word of God. What do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod or with love and the spirit of gentleness? He goes on now, if you turn to Acts 20. 
So the Corinthian church, in the end, it was successful. Only because of Paul's absolute commitment. He never gave up. And in the end, they finally stabilized. But it was a, it was a fight. Because there are people who were resisting authority, resisting the eldership. But then in Acts 20... We'll just jump into verse 20 here. He says, I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable. So again, the emphasis on teaching. That's what Paul did. Declaring to you anything that was possible and teaching you publicly from house to house. The good shepherd teaches. He makes sure that you're being fed so that you can grow. And then he goes on in verse 24. 24. But I do not consider my life of any account. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. So he does not take any account of his life. I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself, in order that I may finish my course and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus. So Paul is making it very clear. I received this ministry from the Lord, and now that I have it, my life means nothing. I have laid down my life. Because my ministry is to bring God's people to salvation. And if I have to die in that process, I've already made that determination. I'm not going to run. I'm not going to miraculously fall into a lifeboat. And I'm okay and everybody else is in peril. To testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that all of you among whom I went about preaching the kingdom of God will see my face no more. Therefore I testify to you to this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. So God has this flock and through the Holy Spirit he sets overseers. It is God's will that we have elders to look after the flock. The flock is not... God doesn't expect the flock to look after itself. We think that. I think in this modern era, you speak to the modern Christian today, we don't need elders. Got my Bible, got my YouTube, got my internet, Google. I don't need elders. It's very, very clear that it's God's will that we have elders. And the Holy Spirit itself sets them as overseers. But watch this. What's the purpose of the Holy Spirit setting them as overseers? To shepherd the church of God. It's not a passive role. It's not a role that, uh, I, I just, I got a, I've got myself a new title. Great. Everybody make sure you call me by my title. Life is good. No. Title doesn't matter. The function is what matters. Every part in the body has a different function. The function is what matters. And the function is to pastor pastor is a verb so the Holy Spirit has set you as overseers to shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood you want to abuse the sheep that Christ purchased with his own blood I wouldn't recommend it so we as God's flock are special to God we were purchased with his own blood and now the Holy Spirit has set elders or shepherds over us to guide us, to feed us. 
And unfortunately, look at this, verse 29. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. So there's this dynamic constantly where God wants to give us shepherds that will feed us, make us healthy, make us strong. Satan constantly wants to send wolves that will destroy us. And this is the battle. Therefore, sorry, after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, men will arise. So Paul was teaching them, teaching them, teaching them. And he could see. Some of them kind of have a bit of an ego problem. They're not really bought into this. So those that are driven by ego, the devil's going to get them. Among your own selves, men will arise speaking perverse things. Again, that emphasis on knowledge. They're going to teach perverse things. To draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be on the alert, remembering that night and day, for a period of three years, I did not cease to admonish each one with tears. This really mattered to the Good Shepherd. It really, really mattered that they get this right. And for three years, night and day, night and day, with tears, he kept teaching and warning them that this is what's going to happen. And so now I commend you to the word, to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up. And this is again the point, brethren. The word of God builds us up. And we need people who can feed us the word of God. And to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. And we didn't read it earlier, but in Ephesians it says that he gives these gifts so that we are no longer to be children. I think Jesse did read this actually. Tossed here and there by the waves carried about with every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. So we have a problem, brethren. And it is that we need to be fed. So Pastor Murray and I have to do our, our homework. We can't be spiritually lazy because the burden is on us to feed the flock. But at the same time, we also have to protect the flock. And, and you need to be fed and nourished up in such a way that you can discern false doctrine. Because false doctrine will not end until Christ returns. It will not end until Christ returns. This is how we become shipwrecked. This is how we get salvation. And this is how we get shipwrecked. Through doctrine. Doctrine goes in here. And then it comes out in our behavior. And false doctrine always, always, always leads to false behavior. You can't house false doctrine and have true behavior. It's not going to work. So, we, we have the responsibility to protect the sheep. Look at Hebrews 13, brethren. If we wrap, wrap up. Hebrews 13, and verse 17, it's, it's here in black and white, says here, Obey them that have the rule over you. And I think there are many brethren who, they don't want to read this scripture, because nobody has the rule over them. And, and here it's very clear that there are those who have the rule over us, and we should obey them and submit ourselves. Why? Because if they're good shepherds, their whole purpose 
is to watch for our souls. We will be shipwrecked if we don't have shepherds. I'm kind of mixing my metaphors. We'll be shipwrecked if we don't have shepherds that are watching over us. But I think you get my point. What should I say? I guess I should say, we will be eaten by wolves if we don't have shepherds watching over us. And we will be shipwrecked if we don't have a good captain. That's, that's better. But here it says, obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves. Why? Because they watch for your souls as they that must give account that they may do it with joy and not with grief. For that is unprofitable for you. So it's unprofitable for us as a congregation if it's a, a grievous exercise for Pastor Murray and I to lead the congregation. It should be a joyful exercise. And if it's a joyful exercise, that's profitable for us as a community. And what it's saying here, God, God said earlier, he's against the shepherds. And he will require his flock at their hands. The shepherds have to give an account to Christ for the flock. And so I have, I, was going to, I can't say unfortunately, but it is, I should say scarily, the responsibility now with Pastor Murray to give an account for the souls in this congregation. Christ says, I will not lose a single soul. All that the Father has given me, I will not lose one. And we as under-shepherds under Christ have this responsibility to deliver your souls safely into the kingdom of God. And we have to give an account. If a soul is lost here, you don't have to give an account for that soul. But Murray and I have to give an account. Why was that soul lost? You are under shepherds under me. How is it that you didn't know the state of the flock? How is it that that soul was diseased and you let it die? The soul was sick and you didn't heal it. The soul was broken and you didn't mend it. We have to give an account. And what the scripture is saying here is that it's unprofitable for you if this becomes a grievous exercise for us. It should be something that we do with joy. We should shepherd with joy, and you should enjoy being shepherded. And, and Proverbs 29.2 says this, When the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. But when the wicked bear rule, the people mourn. So if we are wicked leaders... If we have evil hearts, if we're here motivated by our own ego, you're going to mourn. You will know. The, the fruit will be rotten. And you'll feel it. But if we're here truly with the heart of a shepherd, of a good shepherd, and we truly, truly, truly want to see you successful, want to see you in the kingdom of God, want to see you nourished and built up, you will rejoice. And we'll rejoice. And this, this little congregation, it will grow. It'll be a healthy place. And we're going to enjoy what God is doing among us. I'll just look at a couple uh, more scriptures and then we'll wrap up. First Peter 5. <clears throat> when the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. <clears throat> and so, if there's no joy in the congregation, something's wrong with the leadership. And, and we need to talk. And you guys should not be afraid to talk to us and say, you know that thing you're saying about the roadmap? We're not seeing it. And sit down and talk with us. We're not, we're not, we're not trying to run a dictatorship here. We're not. We really, truly want to do what God says. 
1 Peter 5 and verse 1. The elders which are among you, I exhort. So again, plural, multiple elders. Who am also an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Feed the flock. Feed the flock. If you love me, feed my sheep. Feed the flock of God which is among you. Taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, don't feel forced, but willingly. This is something you should want to do, not for money, but of a ready mind. You really want to do this. Neither as being lords over God's heritage. Rather, being examples to the flock. So we have to figure out, we're not, we're not kings and lords. We're not here to dictate. We're here just to set an example and to facilitate. Christ is the leader of this congregation. We're under shepherds. So we're not to be lords. And here it is here in verse 4. And when the chief shepherd, so we're under shepherds, the real shepherd shall appear, you shall receive a crown of glory that fades not away. And this is what we are striving for, that every soul is delivered safely to the kingdom. And I'm just going to wrap up now in one, two more scriptures and then we'll wrap up. Let's go to First um, Thessalonians 2. First Thessalonians 2. Look at verse 18. 1 Thessalonians 2. This is the Apostle Paul to the church in Thessalonica. For we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, more than once, and yet Satan thwarted us. So Satan didn't want Paul to get to the brethren, always trying to thwart the eldership. And look at this in verse 19. For who is our hope or joy or crown of exaltation? What is it that we're really after? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus that is coming? This, this is what was driving Paul, that he labored more than all the other apostles. And what was driving him was this vision of delivering these souls to Jesus Christ when he returns. And that's his joy. And this is why you know he's a good shepherd, because that's what's on his mind. And he will behave and do everything he can to get to that end result. And if the wolf comes, there's no way he's going to run. Because his vision is to deliver the soul safely to Jesus Christ. Who is our hope, our joy, our crown of exaltation? Isn't even you in the presence of our Lord, Jesus that is coming? For you are our glory and joy. And I think that this is the approach that Pastor Murray and I have. That our joy, our role, our function in this body, we all have our roles. Our function is to nourish you, to protect you, to lead you, and to to deliver you to Jesus Christ on his return. Healthy souls that will be transformed in that instant when Christ returns. And that's our crown, to see you there. So, brethren, this role of eldership, I, I, I step into this role with some amount of trepidation. Because it's just through the years I've seen, I've seen firsthand terrible abuses. And I've seen firsthand members terribly abusing elders. 
and, and it's like human beings, we, can't, we, we, we struggle with power. It's very difficult for us. We're either abusive or we're defiant. We're passive. I think we have a tremendous, tremendous opportunity to get it right. To really make this a healthy congregation. To have healthy biblical relationships. To have an eldership that we take joy in. Because it's a function in the body. It's not, it's not superior. It's just like, I'm glad I have eyes. I'm glad I have teeth. I would hate it if I had no teeth, if I had no eyes, if I, had, uh, if I lost my sense of smell, if I lost my feet or my hands. To have our body, body functions is a wonderful thing. We're just another function in the body. And let's look at this in Hebrews 2. We'll wrap up here. <coughs> Hebrews 2, speaking of Christ, verse 10, for it became him, for whom are all things, everything exists, everything exists for Christ, and by whom are all things, everything exists because of Christ, so, so he created everything, but everything was created for him, that, that's who we're dealing with here, it became him, in bringing many sons unto glory. That's what he's doing. He's the great shepherd who's leading the flock to glory. To make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. So we don't have a Captain Francesco Scatino who is just wrapped up in himself and doesn't care about our fate. We have a captain that's perfect. He's perfect. And he suffered. He laid down his life for us. For both he that sanctifies, and this is what I wanted to bring out here, brethren. He that sanctifies is our high priest, and they who are sanctified, that's us, are all of one. Imagine that. Everything exists for Christ. Everything was created by him. He laid down his life so that we could be sanctified. And do you know what? Both he that sanctifies and us who are sanctified, we're one. This is profound. For which cause he's not ashamed to call them brethren. Our high priest calls us brothers. Where does a minister get it in his mind that you can't call him brother because he's a minister? When our high priest calls us brothers and we call him brother. So I think, brethren, let's get this right. I'm Adrian. I'm this guy I was born 51 years ago. And God put his hand on me. And he brought me through many experiences to get to the point where I just love God. I love his word. I love his people. And, and now he's put me in this role. It's a role. It's a guy in a role. That God helped me. And God helped Pastor Murray. Because we're just guys. And we're your brothers. And here we have a community that is so one. It's, I just love stepping through those doors every Sabbath. It's a wonderful community. Let's not spoil it by misunderstanding the role of eldership. In fact, eldership is a gift. Let's receive the gift. Because it's from Christ for us. And let's build that model Christian community. 
This has been a podcast from the Burlington Congregation of the Church of God International. We hope you are blessed by it. To find out more about CGI Burlington, visit our website at cgiburlington.org.